0: Hello and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello!
1: I don't know why I said it like that. That was very John Mulaney.
0: (laughs) Hello! Hello! (laughs) Welcome back to another exciting episode, the one that you've all been waiting for. We've gotten so many people write in about this episode. And of course, I'm talking about book three, episode five, The Beach, or as we like to call it,
1: Therapy session. I was going to go therapy session, and then that just felt wrong. So I'm going to go with the <laughs> A worship, dude. Therapy session. There we go.
0: Therapy session. Yeah. That's right. This is an episode I have looked forward to as well, and there is going to be so much to talk about. I also heard Greg mention something about a connection between mm-hmm, this episode and mm-hmm. our next one. So, looking forward to that.
1: You'll tweet until next week to hear what that connection is. I'll drop a little teaser, I'll sprinkle it in where it yep. starts, and then I'll let you know next week when it, I got to put the cliffhangers in there somewhere. That's just good podcasting, or so I'm told.
0: Got to build that intrigue.
1: Build it. Exactly.
0: Before we jump into the episode, though, do we have some reviews?
1: We do, actually. We have three more five-star reviews that came over from the uh, U.S. Apple podcast specifically. I just realized that we've kind of forgotten everyone else right now, but we will read those. I think as soon as we get through all of the the U.S. ones, there are a lot of great ones from Canada, Germany, Australia as well. Great Britain. Can't forget about Great Britain. But right now we're going to be reading Jelly and their five-star review, which says great format. Learned so much, even though I've seen Avatar a million times. Five stars for Acorn. I'm reading it, though. <gasps> I'm reading this one. So you can give me five stars later if you like.
0: But Greg's going to steal my five stars. Steal...
1: No, 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 no. I also give Acorn five stars. Every oh, episode. Oh, well, I give every... you
0: five stars. Oh, thank you.
1: You just have to say that because you're contractually obligated, but I still appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> they continue on to write. I love this format with the summaries, facts, and headcanon throughout the episode. And of course, the MVP and moral of the story. Great podcast. I can't wait for the comics and Legend of Korra to be covered. Thanks for your time and dedication to making a quality podcast.
0: Oh, thank you, Jelly.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. That was very nice. And what I really enjoy, I I love whenever anyone leaves a five-star review. But I like when they're like, oh, this thing that's unique that you're bringing to this, which is like the MVP and the moral of the episode, which is like the bits that we come up with the content without just re-explaining or re-summarizing or anything. When people say we, we really like that, it's just for me anyways, it means so much more. Like, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it feels good because we've mentioned before how we put some thought into how we wanted to run these podcasts. After settling on the fact that we wanted to do a watch along, we were like, well, how do we make this different? How do we make this interesting? And that's where the MVP and the moral of the story came in, which, you know, we're so happy that you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. What's the next one?
0: Yeah. Our next review comes from Tumbleboy31, who says, I want to make a point. Hey guys, great podcast. This is super incredible. And having watched the show multiple times, most recently with my daughter, After growing up from 15 on as an avid fan since the premiere of episode one, I am astounded at how much information you bring to the front and how you help me see different aspects of this incredibly nuanced show. I know you make your points as much in chronological order as humanly possible, but after listening to the fortune teller episode, I have a point to make. Earth has two specialties and everyone else has one to two under earth. You have metal, lava. I don't remember Roku bending lava ever, as I believe it's a turn-of-the-century ability, in quotes. Mm-hmm. I think he bends earth and air, as Ang does in The Fortune Teller. And then under fire, we have lightning and combustion. Under water, we have... Spoiler, we haven't got to it yet. Uh-oh. And air, you have flying and enlightenment. Fun fact, air is the only discipline where every member of the Air Nomads Nation is so spiritually pure that there is never a member born without airbending abilities. Umi and Kaya in Korra don't count because their lineage is affected by Katara, but Tenzin's kids continue that trend. Anyways, amazing show.
1: That's a lot of really good points there. And I think, did we make, I can't remember at this point, it was over a year ago and I can't remember over a minute ago. Just kidding. I can't remember a minute ago. I said, I can't remember a minute ago, a minute ago, but anyways. Oh my God. <laughs> anyways, that could go on a vicious cycle. I feel like we said Roku can lava bend and after watching, which is going to be next week's episode, after watching the Avatar and the Fire Lord, he doesn't actually lava bend there. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think um, technically lava bending falls under earth bending, but we had this whole conversation about. How there's a possibility between firebenders being able to bend lava by using the fire element and then right. earthbenders being able to bend lava through the rock element because it's a mm. fusion of the both. That's true. Um, so I think as far as the canon goes, lava bending is technically earth bending, but you could probably argue either way.
1: Yeah. It's just kind of funny. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, I remember for some reason Roku being like or us being like, yeah, Roku can do it. And then I just watched the episode for next week. And I'm like, that would have been an ideal time. But yeah, right. (laughs) Anyways, yes. Um, Also, I want to make a a quick shout out to Tumbleboy and thank him. He's actually joined the Geek Generation Discord and went into the Avatar channel. And we had a great little conversation about the caring or lack thereof, in my opinion, of Sokka. With Appa, everyone remembers that from the Painted Lady episode. Uh, we had a great back and forth. Ultimately, we didn't change each other's mind, but that's okay because this is wonderful about this show. Is there so many different interpretations, different ways to look at it? You can gain meaning in from one delivery versus another. So it was really cool just to kind of have that uh, throughout the day, just going back and forth. It was it was so much fun. Thank you, tumble boy. I hope I stopped responding because I also have a daughter, which I think he knows and understands. So (laughs) I appreciate it, man. It was was a great conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. And the last five-star review comes from Rebecca Reed C. And Rebecca writes, I love this podcast and I love you. No, you, Rebecca. No, you. (laughs) Hello, fellow Avatar fans. I love this podcast because it's the only good Avatar podcast. Smiley face, heart, love, read. From Spotify. Oh, yeah. So, Reed, thank you so much for not only listening to us on Spotify, but for, I guess, making an account on Apple Podcasts.
0: Yeah. Jumping over the river to Apple Podcasts.
1: Yes. And Reed is not the only person to have done this. I think we have one coming up either next week or the week after where it's a very similar, similar thing. So and it's funny because they uh, censored Spotify with an asterisk instead of the O. I remember. So I was like, is Apple blocking people (laughs) to say Spotify? Uh, That's so funny. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. We super appreciate them. And if you want your five-star review read on the show, remember, go over to Apple podcasts and leave a five-star written review. We did see a lot of five-star reviews coming in, but we haven't seen uh, as many written, which means that we can't see it, which means that there is no shout out on the show. Or if you want to, Leave a review and not be shouted out. That's completely fine, too. Let's go. That's cool. That's cool. Yep.
0: Either way. Either and way. if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can email us at avatar at gmail.com mm-hmm. and just say in the title five star review and we will read that on the show as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. We're ready.
1: We are ready. Let's go to the beach.
0: Let's go on vacation. Yeah. All right. The beach. Here's a fun fact for you. Immediately. Right at the start. This episode Whoa. was written by Katie Mattia or Katie Matilla. Not sure how to pronounce that, but Katie was chosen to write this episode because of her prior experience with portraying Zuko's angsty teen personality in romantic situations. And we've seen it before when she wrote the tale of Zuko, that episode or that little tale within yep. an episode yeah. where he went on a date with Jin in Ba Sing Se. So Katie came back, wrote some more angsty Zuko. And I have to say, Zuko's in rare form. He is the most believable In
1: this episode, so much so
0: much. So, she did a great job.
1: She absolutely did. I really appreciate not only the writing, but the directing in this episode. Just gonna throw this right at the beginning where we see Zuko being so angsty, but it's like almost comical, which I like because, like, when he's inside of his own head, he's like, This is serious, like, this is not a joke, this is my life. And here we zoom out a little bit, and he just looks like he's sulking around. Which is yep. funny.
0: Yep. And watching him and May play off of each other in this yeah. episode also says a lot about their personalities and their relationship, which we did touch on in our recent Avatalk last Friday. That's right. That's right. So if you couldn't make the live show on Twitch.tv slash The Geek Generation, we do have those the last Friday of every month. But we are also uploading those to YouTube. So if you mm-hmm. want to check it out, go over to youtube.com slash avatar the podcast. Yeah. But yes, on your note about the direction, this episode was directed by Joaquin dos Santos, who we haven't seen in a little bit, it feels like. And the episode opens not with Team Avatar, mm-hmm. but with our Fire Nation antagonists on their way to Ember Island. Ty Lee is excited to spend the weekend hanging out on the beach with her friends. But Zuko is unhappy that they're being forced on a vacation by the Fire Lord. Azula isn't taking it personally, understanding that their father wants to meet with his advisors alone. Zuko's and Azula's family came to Ember Island when they were children, but it's been many, many years. When they arrive at the island, Lo and Lee are waiting for them on the dock. The sisters are wearing matching pink and maroon beachwear and wide-brimmed straw hats. The coastline is full of huge palatial beach homes, but Lo and Lee's is much smaller by comparison. It's kind of a comical moment, too. It's like pan, pan, yeah. pan, Zoom. Teeny, tiny house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it, it makes sense, though. Even though they're pretty much attached to the hip to Azula, like they're not going to have this huge house. Like they weren't always or maybe they were. I don't know if they were always in the Fire Lord's favor or not. It's a very. Yeah. Thing to wonder.
0: It's hard to say if their family has served the Fire Lord's family for mm-hmm more generations than them. But I did find out that Lo and Lee have been coming to this beach house ever since they were infants and they inherited it after their parents died. And of course, unlike all the other beach houses, which are enormous and elegant, theirs is a little small, a little bit, some disrepair going on. Yeah. But I would, I would argue it's also very cozy.
1: It's very uh, Miyazaki-ish. It me.
0: is. It has that that feeling to it. Yeah,
1: it was. Uh, oh, what movie was with the the twin witch sisters? I forget. I just watched it like last year. Spirited Away. Spirited Away. So it's kind of like that. Like it was very like a lot of tchotchkes, a very cluttered yep. feeling. <laughs> also old twins. So old lady twins. There's that connection, too. But for me, yeah. it, it felt very Miyazaki-ish, which we all know uh, Mike and Brian Constantly reference in different ways. Like with Heibai, uh specifically his monster look was very yep. Miyazaki his show. So it's it's good to see kind of that trend continue.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And aside from their house being a little cluttered and full of tchotchkes, it also apparently smells like old lady, which is a comment <laughs> that Zuko makes when they get inside. So <laughs> Yeah.
1: I think we all know that smell.
0: We all know that smell. Yeah. yeah. There's certain products that old ladies use that yeah. tends to evoke a smell, but mm-hmm. Anyway, Ty Lee also finds a photograph of two young identical teens in yellow bathing suits standing butt to butt. Who are these beautiful women? She asks. Can't you tell? The sisters respond standing also butt to butt in the same position. Mm -hmm. The photograph is of them when they were younger.
1: Mm. (laughs) I have a headcanon moment right here. And there is no real basis in fact for this. Other than the fact that Lo and Lee used to be attractive young women, and how okay. much I hate Ozai, I think maybe not Ozai. Let's make it Ozai's father, so Azulon. What if they were like Azulon's mistresses or something?
0: Interesting,
1: because like they're very attractive twins, and everyone, I think the the stereotype for evil overlords is they have multiple wives or multiple love interests or something like that. So I think maybe that's why they were able to stay in the family's favor for so long is because they were hooking up with the old man once upon a time. When I first was watching this episode, I thought it would have been Ozai, but I think he's just a little too too young. It would have been a little too Mrs. Robinson ish. Yeah. So I think I'm going to change it to Azulon. But I think that's how they got their foothold into the royal family. And just have managed to stay the entire time.
0: That's a spicy headcanon.
1: I know. And there's again, there's no basis for that whatsoever. Other than the yeah. fact that <laughs> everyone after Sozen has been kind of uh, scummy. So yeah. it just works for me. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. Well, either they were minions or mistresses or yep. their family was just some high ranking official in the Fire Nation military. Yeah. Take your pick. We probably won't ever know. So, Never. you know, choose, choose your headcanon. In this scene, the sisters acknowledge that they know the kids are upset that they were forced to come to the island for the weekend, but tell them that Ember Island is a magical place. It can help them understand themselves and each other if they give it a chance, because the beach has a special way of smoothing even the most ragged edges. Foreshadowing, first of all, Mm -hmm. with that comment, Mm -hmm. Um, I love the way, again, we've talked about this before, but I love the way that the writers and the creators of the show set up certain themes or concepts or things in the show and then call back to it constantly. It's just a good way of storytelling. But we see it here, too, where we see so many references and we set up the story with almost this book ended concept of something special happens on Ember Island.
1: Yeah. And also, I do want to point out here as well. As much as I joke about Lo and Lee being secret mistresses, we're seeing a different side of them on Ember Island, which is very interesting. They're softer. They're softer. They're kinder. They're offering actual advice that's not, this isn't perfect. Do it again. Like they're, they're very maternal, which is very Mm -hmm. interesting to kind of see. Unlike, so I'll just say this right here then. It feels like Ozai is the only one that's really, and I'm still going to say Azula at this point, are really just two dimensional characters. So far, everyone else, even the little henchman, the little henchwoman have another side to them.
0: Yeah, I will definitely agree with you on Ozai. Ozai yeah. is very two dimensional at this point. Yeah. Part of the lost lore that I found about Ember Island and Lo and Lee's family home is this is a place that they habitually go to when things get too stressful in the capital or when they just need to go rest and recharge, this is their place to go. So it sounds like they come here a lot more often than the rest of the royal family. Mm. But of course the end of this scene is when they say time to hit the beach and they (laughs) take off their outer garment and reveal their saggy lady bits (laughs) and may cover Zuko's eyes.
1: (laughs) And Mia, she's like,
0: (laughs) yep. Tries to spare him the uh, the image, but yeah. you know, at the same time, it's natural. Bodies go through different
1: stages,
0: yeah. and old body parts tend to sag, and that's just a fact of life.
1: That's just gonna happen. It's just if something the way it we can is.
0: all look forward to.
1: One day, we will all be Low and Lee in swimwear. So, just everyone, yeah. let that sink in with you for a little bit. <laughs> Yep. Just wade in those waters for a little bit.
0: Just wade in those waters. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'm not,
1: I'm not going <laughs> to truncate my thoughts. Get trunk. Oh, my God. Trunks. There we go. That's what? That's, two? Those one nice count, that yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. I like them. There we go.
0: We switch over to our main heroes who are also relaxing, but not on an island. They have found a secluded hot spring in a crater that conceals them from the surrounding environment. Do you really think you should be exposing your tattoos like that? Toph asks Aang. What if someone sees you? Katara notes the walls and tells the young earthbender that it's completely safe for them to be there without their disguises. Aang sees a water tunnel nearby and eagerly goes for it. He speeds down it like a water slide with Momo on his shoulder and eventually emerges from a waterfall to fall into the water below. But unbeknownst to him, there are two Fire Nation watchmen nearby who see the whole thing. The Avatar is alive. We better send a messenger hawk to the Fire Lord, one says. They slip a message into the scroll holder on the bird's back and release it with a black ribbon signifying the importance of the message. This is so exciting, says the other.
1: I want an episode or a book or a comic or something with these two knuckleheads. That's all (laughs) I want. They are hilarious. They're very much the, um, oh, what's that Shakespeare duo? They're the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are of the avatar world right now in my head. They're there. They're like involved in this very pivotal moment of the avatar, but just like right on the outskirts there, which is really funny. Yeah. So I would love something. Please, please avatar studios. If you're listening, (laughs) just like even a 10 minute, not yeah,
0: like little in between episode shorts that they used to do with the, um, after school specials. Yes. Back in the day.
1: Yeah, something. Yeah. It'd be so good. Or just have them show up again somewhere. I don't care. But they're wonderful. And they add this like little charm to this episode that is just so iconic Avatar for me.
0: Yeah. It's also a reference to a concept we've discussed before about just all the different outposts in the Fire Nation military and how it's fun to think about certain outposts being almost A punishment where if you screw up, oh, you're going out to the blockade, you get to float around on a boat with nothing to do and that sort of thing. So I imagine it would just be almost the series of misfortunate events or something. It would be pretty amusing.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Um, A quick note about the location this like crater or depression in the earth that they're in is actually based on a volcanic crater called Viti, which means hell which is located in Iceland. Mm. And it's really interesting because if you Google it, it's B-I-T-I. It looks exactly like this place. So once again, a reference to the fact that Brian went on that trip to Iceland, took a bunch of pictures. And a lot of those pictures, a lot of those locations made their way into this season.
1: Yeah, on the director's commentary, they mentioned that a lot. And there was um, a little bit later, we'll see another location that they saw that was uh, really, really iconic for them. So, I'm really excited to talk about that too when it pops up. Awesome. But they love their trip so much. It's all they talk about in the commentary. It's all like, it's <laughs> so funny. It's like, like oh yeah, in this trip. And then and we did this trip, we did this trip. It's like, I know. I think it was Brian. I've once again, I at one point could tell their voices apart. I can't anymore, but only one of them, I think it was Mike, was not on this commentary. It was only Brian and a couple other people. And Brian said that he felt like he brought home this uh, stereotypical, I went on vacation, watched my slideshow, but he made all of his employees and all the people on his team watch it. (laughs) It's so funny.
0: Yep. It's so good. Well, I would talk about my vacations, too, if I was able to take so many trips to China and Iceland and the writer's retreat. It sounds like a lot of good fun.
1: Yeah. I do also want to just quickly point out what's really funny, that most of the Fire Nation is based on locations in Iceland. Now, I know Iceland is actually not very icy. It's actually the opposite. It's very green and lush and all that. But just like the imagery from the names just makes me chuckle.
0: Yeah. Back on Ember Island, the group of Fire Nation friends make their way to the crowded beach. Zuko and Mei walk together under a parasol that shields them from the sun. Azula finds them a spot, which just so happens to be where a young boy is building a sandcastle. She puts a foot through his creation and the boy runs away crying. She also like kicks his bucket.
1: She does. She's not very nice. <laughs> like the typical beach uh, bully. Yes. Typical beach bully. Azula. Oh, I don't yeah. like it. I don't like it.
0: Ty Lee quickly gains the attention of nearby boys who fight over who gets to dote on her. One spreads out her beach towel and shades her from the sun. The other gives her a conch shell that Zuko threw away after May rejected it. And I just want to point out here uh, two things, actually. In reading up about Ember Island itself, they kind of paint it as this resort area on the outer islands. It's really popular. It's where everyone wants to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen, it's very luxurious. There are resorts and vacation homes for the wealthy and the powerful. Many high-ranking Fire Nation officials have their vacation homes here. And after reading that, I basically got this sense of like Malibu, California, where it's just. The hottest spot where a bunch of wealthy people go. It's very exclusive, very opulent, and that sort of thing.
1: Mm, yeah. Something I want to note too those eagle eyed viewers out there might notice that the sound is like gray. The sand is just gray and gross looking. It's not dirty, yeah. it's meant to be volcanic ash and volcanic sand. And so there's very purposefully made from the normal sand color to. Like a more gray to really kind of emphasize that this, we're still in the fire nation. This is looking a little different than what we might think is like a quote unquote beautiful beach. but for them it is like acorn was saying like a destination to go to for the the rich and famous and powerful.
0: yes. the second thing I want to point out is the fact that um in production, the original swimsuit designs for Azula May and Ty Lee actually stirred some controversy in the Nickelodeon's Standards and Practices Division.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Uh-huh, who said they were too sexy for Nick. So they had to be redrawn.
1: And yet, Lo and Lee passed.
0: <laughs> yep. I actually like their swimsuits. I dream, am yeah. such a fan of the character art and the outfits of the Fire Nation citizens, as well as Team Avatar's disguises. They just... Maybe it's after seeing all the blue and the green from the previous two seasons or even just like the cuts and the layering. But I think everything looks so good.
1: Mm. Uh, quick casting note. I know I'm a little late to this one. The skinny teenager who blocks the sun for Ty Lee is none other than Scott Menville yet again. <gasps> this is what? like the third or fourth character he's voiced in Avatar The Last Airbender. He was the scout in The Great Divide. He was yep. the Earth Kingdom soldier, let's say, uh, who gave the note about Bato's ship to, it was either Sokka or Katara.
0: Yeah, Katara, I think.
1: Or no, it was Aang, because Aang holds onto it for a while. It was Aang, because he hides oh, that's it. from. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he gives it to Aang. He also played both the kids at uh, Master Wu's Earth Bending Academy. Right. So that's four right there. This is number five. He plays the skinny oh teenager gosh. who blocks the sun for Tylee. So if you forgot so forgotten. Funny. Yeah. If you forgot who he was, he played Robin in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. He's done a bunch of other things, but that's like kind of the big name. Go all the way back to book one. The uh, Bato of the Water Tribe episode, I believe, was the first. No, no, no. Sorry. The Great Divide was the first episode where he was. Oh, in. my gosh. And you'll hear yep. all of his credentials.
0: And once again, I can hear Robin in his yep. voice when he talks, yep. but I can't quite place it. So. Yep. I think it's so funny that they call in Scott whenever they need, like, just a fill-in voice. Hey, Scott, can you be a teenage kid? Sure. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Can you be a slightly deeper teenage kid? Sure. You know, that's what he does.
0: (laughs) Yep, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, and getting back to the story, Mm -hmm. after Zuko failed with presenting the conch shell to May as a gift, he tries again by getting himself and May two ice cream cones. But when he hands one over to her, the ball of ice cream falls into her lap. Thanks. This is really refreshing, she says. Classic. I love how she just has no response. It's just monotone. Thanks. She doesn't this even is really move. Refreshing.
1: Like, like no. you would think you get ice cream on you. It's cold. You like jump up or react in some way. She just looks at him, and goes, "Thanks."
0: Yep. Which they're going <laughs> to bring up later in the episode. Yep, just that's true. The way that she reacts to things. Yep. Nearby, Azula sets her sights on the next activity: koi ball. She yells for her friends to join her in the group of teens garner more attention as Zuko throws his shirt aside against a dramatic backdrop of flying birds. That is another one of my favorite gifts.
1: Yes. And that is, I don't know if this was meant on purpose. They did mention this in the commentary, but it's kind of in a joking manner. So I can't know for sure. But uh, there's a director, his name is John Wu who iconically uses doves at like the big action moments or like the big hero moments in a movie. And yeah. that was very like John oh, Woo-esque. So, like
0: an homage to him.
1: So like they said, like, this is the big John Woo moment of the, that's how they said it. And when I saw it, that's what I thought. But like, I can't tell if it was on purpose or not. But still, if that looks kind of similar to you, John Woo, he, he directs a lot of Eastern movies, but he's done a bunch of Western ones as well. If you ever see a movie and the hero is running towards the camera or running in a way and you see a white dove or multiple white doves, it's probably a John Woo movie.
0: (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. A note about the sport that they're about to play, too. Kawaii ball is similar to setback Takraw, a Southeast Asian sport comparable to volleyball in concept, but it's played without the use of hands so strictly kicking, kneeing and everything that we're about to see in this next scene. So I thought that was really cool.
1: You want to know something really funny? Yeah. It's not actually based off of that. This is a happy accident. Oh, so the was same it? thing that happened with what was it with Toph and how she learned earth bending and there was that like a uh, ancient chinese tale of like the blind Kung Fu master. This is very similar. Right. So, so they knew, Mike and Brian knew they wanted to have volleyball, but they're like, what if they do it with their feet? It'll be like more Kung Fu-y, more actiony. It'd be like really cool. And they, the way they told it is they had someone who was from Korea that was working with them in these meetings. I can't remember this gentleman's name. I'm terrible. I should have wrote it down. But he didn't say anything. He was very quiet and kind of nodding. And then when Mike and Brian went on these trips, they were like, oh, this is actually a thing. Like, this is a real sport. <laughs> and they went back to him when they came back. They said, hey, this is a thing. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's very big. Very big. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you didn't think to tell us? And goes, go, yeah, yeah." yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they, it's really funny that it just kind of lined up that way. It is, in fact, kind of based on uh, that real life sport, but they didn't mean to base it on it. They wanted. I un-
0: love that. It's
1: so funny. It's It's like very interesting when your this may or may not be what occurred but you're diving so deep into these cultures trying to make sure that you're representing them as accurately and as fairly and as properly as you can and then all of a sudden you're inventing sports that that culture has already invented but not knowing that they already invented it like it's like you're almost like in that same like mind space as that culture and that's really cool
0: Yeah, like the Fire Nation culture invented this sport, which just so happens to be a thing in Southeast Asia already. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, our Fire Nation friends huddle together next to the net and Azula gives them their strategy. One of their opponents, a girl on the other team, favors her left leg, probably from an old childhood injury. Keep serving the ball to her left and we'll destroy her and the rest of the team. Dismissed, Azula says. True to her observation, Azula and her friends are able to rack up points by hitting the ball to the girl's left. And with the added benefit of Tylee's acrobatics, Mei's speed, and Zuko's athleticism, the group of friends are able to defeat their opponents. After scoring the final point and with the net crackling with fire from the blowback of Azula's shot, the Fire Nation princess revels in their victory, saying, We defeated you for all time. You will never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation. A moment passes and she sighs. Well, that was fun.
1: (laughs) It's so interesting to see Azula with normal teenagers. And like, you don't realize (laughs) how over the top she is until you see your average kid in, in this world. And they're just like, uh, okay. Like, we're just playing. Which I a game. think
0: was one of the main points of this episode. And they, yeah. Oh, for sure. They executed it so well. All of these different parallels and contrasts and comparisons to other teenagers their age and what life is like for them versus what this group of kids have had to focus on and deal with and train for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two local boys approach the group and invite Tylee and May to the party they're having later. Offended by being overlooked, Azula asks them why they didn't invite herself and Zuko. You don't know who we are, do you? She asks them, beginning to realize the boys have no idea she and Zuko are the crown prince and princess of the Fire Nation. The boys stare at them blankly, then the beefy one replies, don't you know who we are? We're Chan and Ranjan.
1: (laughs) I love them so much. So much.
0: I actually think I saw a note somewhere how the team wanted to give them iconic surfer bum names, mm-hmm. but
1: it, like it still perfect.
0: of Asian descent or yeah. Asian structure, and yep. it works. It works so great.
1: Yeah, well, because Ron John kind of sounds like just Ron John. Like if you were yeah, to like, like Ron
0: John Silver.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like it's just <laughs> I don't know. It was perfect the whole time. They said their names, and I was like, in Avatar: The Last Airbender, there has never been two characters so perfectly named. Yes. Then Chan and Ron John. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, well done.
0: <laughs> the boys tell them that some of the most important teenagers from the Fire Nation will be at the party, so they should do their best to act normal.
1: Mm. Azula
0: holds her brother back and says they'll be there.
1: Do you want to know the voice actors for Chan and Ron John?
0: Yes, I do. Of course I do.
1: So Ron John, I didn't really know too well. His name is Ross Thomas. He's been in General Hospital and Beyond the Break. Uh, General Hospital is like the big one. I think everyone will know. Chan, however, though, is voiced by none other than Eric Von Detten. Ooh. Who, I saw the name, and I, I always mispronounced it, so I apologize. I looked up his IMDb. I didn't even need to look at his credentials. I saw his picture. And he is the leading man from the Disney made-for-TV movie Brink. Starring oh, skaters. Yep, yeah. No, I loved also, that movie. He was the main guy. He's the blonde guy. Eric Von Denton. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. So he's all, he was also in Days of Our Lives. I didn't know this. He has voiced Sid in the Toy Story movies for like all of them.
0: Really? I didn't know oh, that was him. Oh my gosh. He
1: was in Recess as Erwin Lawson, who was like one of the main characters. He was in Dinotopia, uh-huh. the series, and of course, Escape to Witch Mountain. So like... Wow. He's like Disney, late 90s, early 2000s, like leading man, made for TV royalty. It's a very niche market that very he was in. Very niche. But like, <laughs> I think everyone, I w- I'm going to say, just be bold and say, everyone in their 30s and up knows yep. who this is. And yep. it's hilarious that he has this like, such a minor role right now.
0: This role was made for him though. It was. He it He's was. such a good Chan.
1: He's so, uh, that just the delivery is perfect. And I appreciate that they got this bit of like, Disney royalty, let's say. Disney made for TV royalty in a Nickelodeon show.
0: I love it. So good. Later that day at dinner, Azula explains, I'm so used to people worshiping us. For once, I want to see how people would treat us if they didn't know who we were. Somewhat cryptically, Lo and Lee say, like waves washing away the footprints on the sand, Ember Island gives everyone a clean slate. Ember Island reveals the true you. Then they stand up and say, To the party!
1: Lo and Lee are going to the party. Lo and Lee were invited (laughs) and Azula and Zuko were not. Just want to point that out there.
0: (laughs) That would be hilarious if they received a personal invitation from Chan.
1: Well, like, so think of it this way, though. Lo and Lee have always been there, right? That's like pretty much their home on the island. So like you have to wonder if they're ironically invited. Like, oh, yeah, let's get the cool old ladies at a party. That'll be so funny.
0: They have that quirky type of youthfulness that old ladies sometimes have. So it would be hilarious if they actually got an invitation.
1: I feel like they did. I feel like that's just the classic Chan and Ron John move right there.
0: Yeah. You know Chan and Ron John so well to say that.
1: Just just, of course. Me and Chan and old RJ. Absolutely. We go way back. (laughs) RJ.
0: Oh, man. In the next scene, we follow the progress of the messenger hawk as it soars over the fire nation on its way to the capital and the fire lord. Suddenly, another bird drops behind it. Somewhat vulture-like, the raven eagle uses the ribbon attached to the message to tangle the hawk until it plummets to the ground. Taking the scroll, it returns to its master, a large, imposing man with an eye tattooed on his forehead. The man looks at the message and a hole is slowly burned through the middle of the scroll.
1: And we've seen this man before at the end of a couple episodes back. It's uh, Zuko's hired hitman. Yep. It's so cool.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: A couple artistic visual notes. The bird or his hawk or whatever you want to call that thing. Vulture. I don't know what it is.
0: (laughs) The raven eagle.
1: The raven eagle. Yeah, that thing is scary. It is. When Mike and Brian were informing of the design of that thing, let's just say the Raven Eagle, they were just like, it just needs to be scarier than a messenger hawk. And then the artist came back with that. And they were like, oh, yep, yeah, that's it. Like that's no revisions. Scary. Like that, perfect. Done. <laughs> wow. A uh, visual note on the combustion man, who is the scary, bald, tall man with the Tian third eye on his forehead. It just is always Dragon Ball for me uh, in some oh, way, shape or yeah. form. He was originally supposed to have hair like it was either Chan or Ron John. I can't remember. He was supposed to have that hairstyle. And they kind of decided that, you know what, like he looks more imposing bald. So they literally just took that hair and put it on that other character.
0: Oh, that's so cool. It's like a swap.
1: Yeah, they just reused the design. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And to go even further with that, I was reading that Combustion Man was actually created at the Season 3 Writer's Retreat which is probably where this concept in this conversation around hair happened. Because originally, John O'Brien pitched an idea of the concept of firebenders who concentrated their mental power to create these explosions. And from there, Mike and Brian ran with the idea, focusing on making Combustion Man the physical opposite of Aang with his Mm. towering, bulky, imposing frame. They looked at like bodybuilders and they shot reference photos from some people from the crew. (laughs) There's a couple cool notes where Joaquin Dos Santos, who is the director of this episode, was the hand model for the signature claw-like prosthetic hand. Yeah, yeah. And someone from the post department called Roner Segnitz was the head model. Hmm. And so all in all, Combustion Man turned into something like the ultimate anti-Ang.
1: But he looks just like a post-apocalyptic Aang. Like he 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 does. It's like, yeah. yeah. he, He looks like a Terminator. That's Aang that came back from the future to destroy the avatar. It's really cool. Uh, Fun fact, he is seven foot two inches tall.
0: (gasps) That's so tall.
1: big man. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I got a note here, too, before he starts going crazy with his third eye. Combustion Man has been acknowledged by Mike and Brian to have gone through many trials and errors while Mm -hmm. discovering his unique style of firebending. Hence the prosthetic arm and leg. Uh, Can you imagine blowing off your own arm and leg while you're trying to learn your abilities? I feel like that played a big role with the hardening of his personality. Oh, for sure. But from there, once he mastered his abilities, he gained a formidable reputation as an Agni Kai dueler. So let that sink in.
1: Yeah. Um, It's very interesting, too, about how he firebends. They talked about this a a little bit on the commentary and the wiki kind of backed it up as well where he firebends from his third eye. So it gives him this insane accuracy that's unlike any other firebender. Because if he, basically, yeah. he's, if he can see it, he can blow it up within a fraction of a second, which is insane. So he channels it through his third eye, which is the tattoo on his forehead. And it kind of the energy, the chi energy, it comes from his stomach and it focuses through the eye. And then you're blown up into pieces.
0: Yeah. It's like what they say about singing sing from your solar plexus. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. From your, like your diaphragm or whatever. Like, is it yeah. really like, yeah, project? Yeah. Yes. It's kind of the same idea. Uh, something that didn't quite make the final episode, which I'm super happy about, is originally the Combustion Man was supposed to kill the two <gasps> soldiers. Our two
0: favorite Watchmen? Yeah,
1: yeah. was yeah. supposed to kill them to kind of give him that more menacing feel, but it never made the final cut, which I'm happy about. Yeah. But at the same time, it would have given the Combustion Man, I think, much more of a monstrous kind of feel if he just kills people that are on his side in cold blood. But ultimately, it it's, it's for the best. It's, it's also, remember... It still is kind of designed, even with all this depth, to be a children's show. So I don't think that would go over too well with the execs over at Nickelodeon.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Also, the fact that he very single-mindedly and violently pursues Team Avatar. I don't think we need a body count to like really enhance that. That evening, Azula and her friends arrive at Chan's house and knock on the door. Uh, you're a little early, Chan tells them. (laughs) I heard you telling someone you'd be partying from dusk till dawn. It's dusk, so we're here. When Chan tells Azula that's just an expression, Azula insists that they are the perfect party guests. They arrive right on time because they are very punctual. Chan shrugs and lets them in.
1: Gray's delivery for Azula here is yes. spot on because like, you're Chan and RJ, right? You're at, you're at your party and these kids show up that you didn't really want to be there in the first place and they show up early, but you're like, that's not cool, A. like, What are you thinking? B, you sound like my mother.
0: I know yeah. what teenager is like. We are very punctual. We are the perfect party guests. So
1: good, and just her like emphasis on punctuality, like that word. I was just cracking up every time with, I rewatched like, the it. The side
0: of her hand,
1: yeah, into
0: the her other palm,
1: and like the but like her actual pee is is like it like penetrates almost your eardrums, where it's just yes. so sharp and direct. Like Azula is, and it's just like, geez, that's amazing.
0: I'm in love with Gray Delisle and her voice acting. Oh, she's so good, man. The teenage boy tells them the usual warnings. His dad's out of town. He has no idea Chan's throwing a party. Don't mess anything up. Azula's eyebrow quirks at this bit of news. She then compliments Chan on his outfit, telling him it's so sharp it could puncture the whole of an Empire-class Fire Nation battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea. You know, because it's so sharp. Um, thanks, he says.
1: Uh, Azula, just leave the funnies to me and uh, we'll we'll get (laughs) through this party just fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love how awkward she is and yeah. how she tries her best to compliment and to flirt. And it's just so tone deaf and aggressive.
1: Yes. Like you can tell she's used to talking to adults. Yes. And like, that would be a joke that would land really well with like her father's generals. A, because they would be laughing out of fear because yep. they they saw what Ozai did to his own son. But also, I think that's generally the crowd she plays to This is much older yep. than herself. Yeah. So it's, it's again, I'm going to say I've already said it and I'm going to say it again. The dynamic between Azula and normal kids is just hilarious.
0: It is. It is. Um, speaking of ranked military officials, do you remember Admiral Chan? The one who is infamous for being lousy at communication? Yes. Yes. That is Chan's dad.
1: Oh,
0: that's the Admiral that Chan is talking about in this episode.
1: That's amazing. That's the one that she threw overboard at the end, right?
0: That was the one who intercepted the ship that Aang and Hakoda and the other oh, water no, no. Tribe thinking, members okay, had yeah, yeah. like Shanghai.
1: I was thinking of the episode where uh, Azula tries to kidnap Zuko. And then that Admiral, whoever that was, is just like, yeah, take the prisoners. I mean, <laughs> not prisoners, no, but no, no, no. But it's yeah, okay. I get you. I, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, that's so funny. I love that connection. Again, world building right there.
0: Yes. And callbacks and references. Exactly. I don't think we've ever seen Admiral Chan. He was only referred to in that scene with Hakoda when they were like, sir, Admiral Chan's been away for two months on Ember Island. Like, that's the only reference that we really get. But who knows? Maybe we've seen him in another scene and we just didn't know. But fun fact, Chan and his son were named after one of the Avatar The Last Airbender writers, May Chan, who Hmm. wrote Boiling Rock Part One, which we haven't gotten to yet, and was also credited as a staff writer for the majority of season three's episodes.
1: I like when they do that. It's a nice little, little touch. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also like how close-knit the writer group is. It's like everyone yeah. is involved with everyone else's episodes. Some people yeah. get credited as the main writer, but otherwise they're all on staff and they're doing their best to make the show as good as possible. Yeah. The group of friends awkwardly wander around the house for a bit as they are the only guests there. And Zuko has a jealous boyfriend moment when Ranjan greets May. Zuko demands to know if May likes Ranjan, even though she hasn't given any indication of liking him. It doesn't take long for the rest of the guests to arrive. Included in the guest list are all the boys Tylee met on the beach that day, and they corner the acrobat in the corner, all wanting to know who she like likes. Becoming flustered, she knocks them all out and escapes to Azula's side. Oh, I'm glad you're here," she tells her friend. "Those boys won't leave me alone. I guess they all just like me too much." Azula insults her for being ignorant, saying they like her only because she makes it so easy for them. This hurts Tylee's feelings, and she begins to cry
1: couple things. Yeah. First, we're, I'm going to hit you with a cold, hard fact. And then I'm going to come up with some headcanon. So I'm going to okay, get the one, two nice. on this one. Here we go. This is the only time we see Tylee cry. Is it? It's the only time.
0: I think you're right because she tears up later in the scene. But this is the first time we've seen her actually like sob.
1: Yes. Right? She's generally happy-go-lucky. She's this is like full-on kind of like cry. Headcanon time. Zuko is jealous of Ron John because of he is living the life that he was supposed to have. In his opinion. If you look at Zuko elements of and, that. Yeah. and Ron John, they're very similar character design. They both got the cool hairstyle. By the way, can we just take a moment to appreciate Zuko's hair in this episode?
0: It's so disheveled and beautiful. It's
1: so shaggy and wonderful. And like, just yeah. like he, he looks like he belongs in a pop punk band at this point. Like, it's just yep. so good. That was when I first saw him in, in when he was on the ship coming to Ember Island. I was like, wow, well played this will be the longest we'll ever see Zuko's hair. They give him a haircut afterwards. They joked on the commentaries like, yeah, (laughs) after this point, we're like, yeah, it's getting out of control. But Ranjan or RJ, as I I like to call him, his hair is almost the same, except his part kind of showcases the eye that would be scarred for Zuko.
0: Ah, yeah. You know, I subscribe to that headcanon because Zuko has a lot of memories mixed up in his brain here on Ember Island. And, Ranjan, aside from looking similar to Zuko, has that kind of carefree attitude of being from the Fire Nation, maybe having a high ranking military individual as a father yeah, and basically spending his time on this island the way Zuko used to with his family. Mm -hmm. Again, also carefree and enjoying life. So I could see it being almost like a subconscious reminder of everything that he's lost.
1: Yeah. And he is at this point probably thinking he should be this way because he's fulfilled his destiny. As far as he knows, the avatar is dead. Like he's good to go. Let's be carefree and have fun on the sun. Let's be more like RJ. But he can't.
0: Yep. His things aren't fixed. Yeah. Even though he thinks they should be. Yeah. When she sees Tylee crying, Azula's tone changes and she admits that she may be jealous. For some reason, when she meets boys, they all act as if she's going to do something horrible to them. But you probably would do something horrible to them. I'm sure they're just intimidated by you. Tylee assures her. Oh, yeah, she definitely would.
1: That line when she's like, everyone acts like I'm just going to hurt them. And I thought at the same time that Tylee said, like, you probably will.
0: You probably would. I know you, Azula. (laughs) Yep. I like this complication in her character. And this is one of the reasons why I really, really like Azula. She's so messed up, yeah. but she still has humanity underneath. Like, you can still feel for her. You can sympathize. You can understand where she's coming from, even if you may not agree with her and think that she's like totally screwed up.
1: I don't know. I don't see it in this episode. I don't see really? it. Really? I don't okay. see it.
0: Maybe this could be colored by future episodes with her Maybe. in my brain.
1: Maybe. In, in this episode and towards the end, I'm going to point it out. I was ready to be on the Azula train. I love nothing more than when I'm wrong about something and I can like change my mind and appreciate a character more. And it didn't happen at the end by the end of this episode. And I was so bummed about it, but there's still more episodes. So
0: there is. That's good to know too, because I can anticipate it with you. Yes. Tylee gives her friend advice on how to get a boy to like her. Just smile and laugh at everything he says, even if it's not funny. They practice together and it becomes obvious that. Azula uh, needs to work on her laugh, along <laughs> with some other things.
1: If you watched Avatar, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to leave it. So yes. if you go watch Avatar. This is the moment where I shipped Azula and Tylee.
0: Yep. And this is the moment where I I agree. I can yeah. see it as a as a headship. Yep. Fun little fact: the music that's playing in the background at this party is the same music that was played at Aang's dance party in the cave by mm-hmm. the Flamios.
1: Oh, I want to make a point, too. Oh, I almost I did yeah. write this down and I almost forgot about it. Thank you so much for bringing this up. None of the kids are dancing.
0: Oh, my God. You're right. They're all just milling around with like drinks mm-hmm. and food and just talking.
1: Mm-hmm. <gasps> Crazy. Crazy. The Fire
0: Nation conditioning yes. strikes again. Yes. That's so interesting. I know. Wanting to put her new flirting skills to the test, Azula approaches Chan and asks him for a tour. The two make their way outside to the balcony and Azula proceeds to laugh at everything Chan says. Tylee's advice works. Chan joins her by the railing and gives her the eyes. She compliments him on his strong arms and he tells her that she's pretty. They share a kiss and it's seeming for a moment like Azula may have a new love interest. But in true Azula fashion, she ruins the moment. Mm-hmm. Together, she says, you and I will be the strongest couple in the entire world. We will dominate the earth. The intensity and blue fire overwhelms Chan and he excuses himself with a forced smile.
1: And he turns into a cardboard cutout and just like <laughs> two dimensionally <laughs> like, walks away. Yeah, it's like, or eat, or eat. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. I do want to make a quick note, a little detail here. There's a torch behind Azula that also turns blue when she does yes, this. Yes, So that it's was, her that two was palms yep.
0: and the torch behind her so and good. she's cast in full blue light and yeah. it's like, it's a lot.
1: It's a good gift, too, by the way. I really like Yes, that it gift. is. Yeah.
0: Back inside, Zuko is getting a plate of food for May. The plate gets knocked out of his hands and he yells at the guy who did it. Then, seeing Ron John chatting May up across the room, Zuko loses it. He pushes the boy into a large vase and May yells at him Your temper is out of control. You blow up over every little thing. You're so impatient and hot headed and angry. Well, at least I'd feel something, he says back. You have no passion for anything. You're just a big blah. With these words, Zuko takes it too far. It's over, Zuko. We're done," May says. Chan kicks Zuko out of the party and the young prince storms off.
1: And then RJ looks at Chan and goes, "Nice. Nice." Like it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah,
0: he gives this like really lukewarm insult that's just not great. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's like I forget what it is, but it's like, "Yeah, you loser." Something, yeah, like, something nice. lame like that.
1: <laughs> nice. I love how <laughs> such good friends they are, by the way. Yeah. Oh, man. I love like B and c characters. And this episode delivers on all cylinders.
0: I really do. There's so many good ones. Yeah. Zuko walks down the beach under the moonlight, tracing long forgotten steps to the house he and his family visited when he was a boy. Along the way, memories drift over him. His father's proud hand on his shoulder, spending time with his uncle and cousin, Lu Ten, The prince breaks down the door and comes face to face with the dusty remains of the beach house he knows so well. A family portrait hangs on the wall, another reminder of how different his family used to be. He finds a plaster cast of his childlike handprint and places his full-grown hand over it. I just have to note the music during the scene when he's walking down the beach and goes to his family home. I don't believe we've heard it before, but it is so haunting it has the same sound of a lot of the other songs that we've heard so far in the show but mm-hmm. man it just like it really helps convey the emotion of the scene and just the turmoil that Zuko is feeling
1: yeah the the music in this series is just outstanding and it never overshadows the action that is going on or the moment and uh, what we'll learn is if it does they don't use it which is great yeah yeah Something I want to bring up as Zuko is walking towards that house, he has these memories, right? He's thinking about his childhood. He thinks about Iroh and Luten specifically, which is like heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, that one scene with them on the beach. Oh,
1: yeah. So like I always knew or we always knew that Iroh and Zuko were close after Zuko's exile, maybe a little bit before, right? Yeah. But we'd never really know how close Zuko is with Lu That's what I really want to know. Me too. To have like a memory like that.
0: Yeah. I think if anything, I feel like it's one of your maybe typical cousin relationships where you see each other at family gatherings and holidays and you have this friendship if you're close in age, but you don't know them really well.
1: I don't know about that though, because then why would he be thinking about this memory?
0: Maybe that was a specific summer that was just really memorable where Iru and Luten came along and it they haven't done it before. And it was this like bigger family vacation.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Uh, just like things that will never get answered, you know, but like it, it just kind of like made me, I always considered, yes, what you were saying is Luten and Zuko were like typical cousins and like, yeah, they hung around. They're slightly close in age, maybe. And like they hung around a little bit and that's it. And then they grew up. That was gone. Luten died, unfortunately. And now, you know. We, we see the remains. But with this scene, I'm also now kind of wondering, like, was it a little more than that? Because I think we're meant to focus on Iroh because Iroh's holding Zuko. But Luten is just sitting there smiling as happy as happy can be on the other side of the blanket on the picnic.
0: Across the island, Team Avatar sleeps peacefully in the crater they relaxed in that day. Suddenly, Toph wakes up and warns the others that it feels like a metal man is approaching them. Soon enough, a beam of light falls over Aang's face, reflected from the metal prosthetic arm of a large, strange man. The man stares down at them from the lip of the crater. Then he bends at them, but not with any element they've encountered before. He flexes his stomach and a pulsing beam shoots out of his third eye on his forehead. It explodes like a thunderclap and Aang barely defends with airbending. Toph bends a wall of rock at him, but his ability cuts right through it. The same thing happens when Katara bends a wave of water at him. This man has an ability stronger than anything the friends have ever seen.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: This is so intense. Yes.
1: There was originally a song that was recorded, like made. It was ready to be shipped with this scene. And what they realized is it was overshadowing the moment. So they just thought it was better to just leave it silent, no music, just pure sound. And what they got was this more menacing villain out of it, which is like such a good decision to make. Like they said it was such a good song. They loved it. There was like, they really wanted to use it, but this moment just didn't need it.
0: That's so interesting because I literally have in my notes, the lack of music helps intensify this moment. I was losing my mind because it's not just the fact that he's attacking them. It's that it's something that the team has never seen before. Every bender on their team takes a turn trying to fight back and he just wipes out all of these attacks and they don't really have anything left. So it's so good. It's such an intense scene. And I love almost the desperate quality of this meeting because we don't have any sound other than the sound of their bending.
1: Mm, Yes, yes. And what's really interesting too is the location in which Aang kind of like hides in. You know, they go into this field that's just filled with pillars, pillars of volcanic rock. Right. And there was actually a a location that Mike and Brian went to where they saw this. Right. And what happened was lava settled. And the way it kind of settled is it the top turned, like hardened, the middle part stayed magma. And then eventually it just kind of like erupted and like broke or whatever. And it left these pillars, in its place. Huh. And it, they were all the same height. They all looked just about the same because it was holding up the same ceiling. And they were looking at it and they were just kind of like, this will make a really cool battlefield for something. So they took their pictures and they used it. Yeah, <laughs> it is really cool. Combustion Man is probably unironically my favorite villain in Avatar The Last Airbender right now.
0: Yeah, I can he totally ha- see that. He has
1: that Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees quality where yep. he never really moves super fast, but he's he's a threat at any range. Yeah. He's quiet when he makes that noise, when he breathes in. So he has like he channels his chi. He makes it very, uh-huh. like, <clears throat> like very sound and it's just echoes and it's haunting. And, you know, there's a blast going to happen after that. It's really cool.
0: He is so imposing and let's talk about his bending ability. Cause this mm-hmm. is the first time we're seeing something like this. It is called combustion bending and it's a rare form of telekinetic fire bending. Basically, like you said, it allows him to channel chi from his stomach and focus it through his forehead, through his third eye. And it results in an explosion. And like yeah. you said before, earlier, it is incredibly accurate. Basically, if he can see his target or see his opponent, he can shoot that laser beam. Basically, all the way to them. It it is decimating.
1: Yes, yeah, it's so cinematic how it looks too. Yeah, because I don't know if they did this on purpose. Probably, I mean, they created it, but like it just felt they put in more detail into those first couple shots, like the way the light hits the the dark background. The way the air bending kind of impacts with the combustion bending, it's just all very anime feeling, very, it's again, very Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super feeling. And it's just like, we haven't seen that so far, that kind of like epicness.
0: The only scene I could think of that was, it gave me the same sense of awe and excitement was Aang's fight with Jet. In the treetops when he was funneling air and all these crazy patterns and like trying to knock him off and they're leaping from branch to branch that's really the only thing that comes to mind but you're right the detail and i just realized it's like a series of sonic booms
1: yes yes so interesting it's so cool yeah i loved it every every part of this I can't even call it a fight. It's just like retreat. Every part of this retreat. (laughs) A tactical retreat. Yeah. Yeah. So well done.
0: Small little note too. It's like a blink and you miss it moment. Mm -hmm. When Toph wakes up, Momo is sleeping right next to her. She was she's like cuddled into Momo's sleeping body and it's so cute. Momo, too, is on his back and his mouth is open and his little paws are like tucked up on his (laughs) chest. And it's so cute. But yeah, like you said, they go into this crazy field of these rock pillars. Aang's plan is to tell his friends to flee on Appa, just get out of here. And he, meanwhile, goes into this field and tries to lose this new adversary among all of the pillars. But this man keeps blowing them up pillar by pillar. Aang has to keep fleeing. He's constantly on the defensive. And at one point one of this man's blasts is so close that Aang barely is able to deflect it with yeah. his air bending he gets shot into the air yeah after that he hides in one of the pillars so he can leap out at the last second covered almost in Something he did in the crystal caverns where he made this like crystal armor around himself. Yep, yep, yep. And also he did this during his training with Toph making yeah. a rock armor. Well, he does this again. And when the metal man attacks, he's launched into the air. He lets go of his rock armor and he lands into Appa's saddle and the friends fly away. Toph makes a comment. Well, that was random. And Katara thoughtfully says, I don't think so. I get the feeling he knows who we are.
1: But like, I don't understand why they'd be like, that felt random. How can that feel random to you? How can a precision attack like that feel (laughs) random?
0: I think his appearance felt random. And the fact that he was who he was and they would never encountered someone like that before.
1: Uh, Yeah, I can see it that way. Yeah. Also, I do want to point out that Aang, once again does not have any of his cover-ups on, essentially. So, like, when he's sleeping, his arrow is there. I wonder if he put his headband on when he was sleeping, if the Combustion Man would have even found him.
0: That's a good question, because I don't know if Zuko would have told... Well, I think Zuko would have told the Combustion Man about Appa and to look for certain things to identify the Avatar.
1: That's fair. But, yeah, they're supposed to be, like, hiding, and they're just, like... Granted, they don't think anyone's around, but, I don't know, be a little more careful. Throw that, like... Like hide Appa, at least, or maybe (laughs) a little
0: more paranoid.
1: Yeah, just a little bit, like maybe 5% more paranoid. Maybe could have saved them this. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Back on Ember Island, Azula finds Zuko sitting on the porch of their family's beach house, deep in thought about how much has changed since they came here all those years ago. Come down to the beach with me. This place is depressing. Zuko follows her and finds Tylee and May waiting for them by the water. May greets him, but when Zuko makes a snide comment about where her new boyfriend is, she shuts down. Zuko offers to make them a fire, noting that there's tons of stuff to burn from the house up on the hill. Once he gets the fire going, Zuko throws the family portrait on top of the flames. When Tylee asks him why he's burning a painting of his family, Zuko brushes off the comment and says he doesn't care. I think you do care, she responds quietly. You don't know me, so why don't you mind your own business, he says. Tylee sighs. I do know you. Zuko hears this and attacks her, saying she lives in her own little Ty Lee world where everything's great all the time. He makes fun of the way she walks on her hands and calls her a circus freak. Azula laughs at this and Tai lashes out, telling them why she joined the circus. After growing up with six identical sisters, it felt like she didn't even have her own name. At least she's different now. Circus freak, she says, is a compliment. I guess that explains why you need 10 boyfriends too, May says sarcastically. Trying to make up for the attention she didn't get as a child makes sense. Tylee counters by asking her what her excuse is. She was an only child her whole life and got all her parents' attention. Zuko throws in that he wished she expressed herself more. He wishes she would be high-strung and crazy for once instead of keeping all her feelings bottled up inside. Mae gets angry at this and asks what they want from her. She doesn't have a teary childhood story. Her family was rich. She got everything she wanted as long as she behaved and sat still, and didn't speak unless spoken to. They had to protect her father's political career. Azula puts the pieces together and observes that May's controlling mother is the reason she's afraid to care about anything now, and she can't express herself. This angers May further, who yells at them to leave her alone. Zuko tells her he likes it when she expresses herself, but she pushes him away, telling him she's still mad at him. When Zuko says his life hasn't been that easy either, Mei tells him that doesn't excuse the way he's been acting. Zuko finally gets to the heart of his issue, explaining that for the longest time, he thought that if his dad accepted him, he'd be happy. But now, after returning home and being accepted by his father, who thinks he's a hero, he's angrier than ever and doesn't know why. In the background, Azula smirks at Zuko's phrasing about Ozai thinking Zuko is a hero, and we are given a glimpse at her awareness. Who are you angry at? His friends ask. They press until Zuko finally explodes. I'm angry at myself, he yells. The campfire explodes until a pillar of fire then fizzles out. I'm confused, he continues into the darkness. I'm not sure I know the difference between right and wrong anymore. They embraces him and tells him she cares about him, and they kiss. Azula's sarcastic clapping interrupts the moment and the couple turn to her. Those were wonderful performances, everyone, the princess says. I guess you wouldn't understand, would you, Azula? Zuko says. Azula agrees that she doesn't have sob stories like the rest of them. She could complain about how her mom liked Zuko more than her, but she doesn't really care. Her gaze unfocuses as she looks into the embers of the fire. My own mother thought I was a monster. After a moment, she snaps out of it and says offhandedly, she was right, but it still hurt.
1: So two things. One, Zuko angry at himself. Put a pin on that until next week, everyone. Yeah. Because we all know who Zuko hates the most in the world. Other than himself. And that's the avatar. So it's going to put a pin in that thought right there. We'll talk about it next week. Okay. Second thing. It was like, Azula was so close to getting me. to being like, oh, you're a person.
0: (laughs) Was it the comment at the end?
1: She was right, of course. And it's just like, you're the worst. I don't like you (laughs) at all. Like, sorry. Second to worst. Ozai is the worst. She's like, like she almost gets like a feeling out, like a single feeling, genuine and like have some dimension to your character. And then she goes, well, she was right. I'm an absolute monster. So like who can blame her? Come on.
0: Azula has this really interesting psychology where she acknowledges and recognizes these terrible aspects of herself, but she accepts them as part of who she is. And almost as like a defense mechanism, she embraces Being terrible, being a monster, because that is how she's been able to gain all the things in her life, including her father's love, her perfectionism as a bender, her success in all of these endeavors that she's pursued. I think that is actually the outer layer. So it's actually fine if you don't feel like you connect with her yet, because I feel like this is laying the foundation. It's starting to reveal who she is as a person.
1: All right. Yeah. Because right now, all I get out of her is she's a monster and she's happy to be a monster. And that's that's just like so two-dimensional for me. But yeah. changes are coming. So we'll see. We'll see if I change yeah. my mind.
0: I really do think, though, that this is so needed in the story because for the last season or two, depending on where you mark their entrance, these characters have been antagonists with very little backstory. They haven't been humanized. And this is also setting the tone for their characters going forward because they're going to be playing an even larger role in the story. And so having that understanding of who they are, where they've come from, how that's affected them, allows us to connect with them more deeply as the story unfolds even more. So I love this episode. I know I'm not alone in that. Oh, it's
1: a great episode. Yeah.
0: I'm also just that kind of person who loves psychology and sociology. So I love digging into people's brains, especially characters. So this was really, really great. From here, Tai Lee makes a comment about what Lo and Lee said at the beginning of their trip coming true. The beach did help them learn about themselves. I feel all smoothed. I'll always remember this, she says. Azula smiles mischievously and makes a suggestion for how to make the trip really memorable. Cut to Chan's door when he opens it to the group of friends. We've got some bad news, Chan, Azula says. Party's over, Zuko sneers. The friends trash Chan's house, breaking tables in half, ripping tapestries apart and smashing chandeliers. Chan breaks down in tears and dribbles of snot as our favorite antagonists smile against the backdrop of fire and destruction. Mm -hmm. I love that little reminder at the end that at the end of the day, even after emotionally connecting to them, Mm -hmm. these are still the show's antagonists. They're yep. still the ones that do bad things, including <laughs> trashing a kid's house just because they wanted to make a point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts for this episode for me, and then we'll move on to, I think, or do you have some more trivia down here? I see.
0: I have one more piece of trivia. Yep.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, final thoughts, trivia, and then we get to go to the the good stuff, the MVP and moral of the episode. Number one, Sia musician watch out because tylee is definitely swinging from chandeliers in this one so Uh, i don't know if that's a trademark thing for you but you might want to want to hit her up or something i don't know uh number two i don't know if this is because i've been re-watching the oc lately but like this episode had heavy oc vibes and it's so heavy so i don't know if you've if ever ever watched it's like one of my like guilty pleasures it's such a great show it's so it's so bad but so good at the same time it's essentially about a kid from the wrong side of the tracks who kind of uh is taken in by a family on like the rich snobby part of california the o- the orange county the oc so for oh. me Ember island is very much like the oc and some of the um the houses and their layouts was very similar to that but i kept on just thinking about like the pilot episode of the oc where like It's literally the rough kid getting in a fight with the rich kid, which reminded me of Zuko and Ranjan, essentially. (laughs) Um, The OC did premiere in 2003, and it kind of went through up until 2007. So that's right about the time that Avatar kind of started up, which was 2005. So coincidence, maybe, maybe not. And even in the commentary, they even kind of joked about like the OC and stuff like that.
0: So they were at least aware of it.
1: They were at least kind of aware of it. So that was kind of like that confirmed my connection. But I thought that was that was kind of uh, a little a little funny there.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's great.
1: Yeah. But yeah. And oh, last thing, last point I want to make. I went into this episode thinking I was not going to like it because we're coming off of a Sokka episode. And not only was it a Sokka episode, but it also had Robert Patrick in it as a voice actor. And I was like, there's no way that this <laughs> is going to be any better than that. And I was really kind of dreading it when I was first watching. it. I was like, I don't know if I'm. Like, I, everyone knows I don't like Azula. Like, I knew this is a very Azula-centric episode. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready. But after kind of, like, going through it and reliving it, I was like, okay, yeah, no, this is great. This is just, like, really, except for that last Azula line. It was so good and so well done. The attention to detail, everything. I really enjoyed it.
0: Good. I'm so glad. I'm sure the listeners will also be glad, too.
1: I also didn't remember this episode at all from my first watch through. Period. Like, this did not exist for me. Yeah, my, wow. It's very odd. Like, there's some episodes I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember this one, like Sokka's Master, I I remembered." But this one yep. I was like, "What is this
0: one?" It was just a blip in your memory that's so interesting. It's the
1: same thing for the next one too. I don't remember seeing that at all for the first yeah. time. It's very odd. Wow. But anyways, I mean it was like what, 15 years ago. So, or 10 to 15 <laughs> years ago. So I guess there's going to be some blips in the memory, but still.
0: That's so funny. Mm. But yes, I do have some additional fun facts and trivia. This is going to be a long episode, which I'm sure many of you are not going to mind since we did miss our release last week. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, this episode I was reading was influenced significantly by the film The Breakfast Club. And it was actually used as a reference material for the relationship-based plot of the story. They actually originally were going to treat the Ember Island plot as the B plot, not the focus of the episode. But they flipped it and made it the A plot while the Combustion Man with Team Avatar was the B plot.
1: Which worked for the better, in my opinion.
0: Oh, absolutely. We needed this. Yeah, yeah. The director, Joaquin Dos Santos, humorously interjected the song, Don't You Forget About Me, which is popularly known for being played at the opening and the closing of The Breakfast Club, yep. to the end of the beach during the animatic phase of production. So at the end, it cues. And I just love imagining that. It was probably hilarious.
1: Yeah, Oh, I can imagine. It definitely like had those vibes. That was where when I'm watching this episode, I'm like, this feels Breakfast Clubby, And we joked about it when we're coming up with last week's coming up next time. Like, yeah. The Breakfast Club, or like, and then you're watching, it's like, okay, yeah, this is blatantly like a, a Breakfast Club inspired episode, which is really cool.
0: Which works because having all these contrasts with the characters and watching the way that they play off of each other, it's interesting. It's conflict.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Another detail is we've talked about the volcanic nature of the Fire Nation. We talked about the beach and how it's um kind of ashy and gray because of the volcanic environment. Also, The architecture has a lot of references to Thailand architecture, as well as some of the clothes. And I recently came across a really cool Tumblr post. I'm going to post it in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, go to thegeekgeneration.com to see that. It's a really cool side-by-side comparison of the outfits in the show and their historical counterparts as well as different types of architecture across the Fire Nation and its historical counterparts. So really interesting. All right. Now, my final bit of Mm -hmm. news Mm -hmm. and trivia. Mm -hmm. There was a comic, a short comic set on Ember Island during the events of this episode. And it was called the Ember Island Arcade. I'm also going to include a link to this in our show notes. Um, someone covered it on YouTube, so you can go watch slash read it yourself. But it was this cute comic that was released in 2009 by Nickelodeon Magazine and was later compiled into Dark Horse Comics' The Lost Adventures, which was a collection of Avatar-based comics. And the story follows Azula, Zuko, Mei, and Ty Lee on their time on Ember Island. Lo and Lee introduced them to this popular arcade. And Azula spends some time there and she brings her friends in to try out this game called Street Bender, a fighting game in which two players control their own figurine warriors and have them battle each other until one victor stands. Picture Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Okay. And that's basically what it looks like.
1: I'm like arcade. And I'm like, no, it's not that arcade. We're not in Korra yet. And then I'm like, (laughs) then you're saying like each character. I'm like, what is they don't have Street Fighter? I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah, of course, Street Bender is a reference to Street Fighter, which is a very popular arcade game. But as far as the visuals go, yeah, I think Rock'em Sock'em Robots It's these little figurines that have different ball joints. And so you set them on these different like metal bars. And when they get hit, their head flies up on a spring. Similar again to Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah. Anyway, Azula has been winning at this game against children all weekend And she suggests that she and her brother battle it out. So Zuko chooses his own figurine and Azula chooses the Aang figurine as her playing piece. And they play Mm. the game. Azula wins an early point because Zuko doesn't know how to play the game. They fight back and forth. They're trying to get the three life points against each other to win the game. Eventually, Azula uses a super attack by firebending into the metal rods of the game, which is a strategy that she failed to mention before, and she was able to get her second point. Zuko immediately tries that same attack, but he was a little too earnest and Uh set the whole game on fire.
1: Classic Zuko.
0: Classic Zuko. The arcade owner runs over in hysterics because his game is ruined. And as the friends leave, Ty Lee jokes that the warning on the game should read, no Zukos allowed. <laughs> and that's it.
1: Every time I see a no character names allowed sign, I always think of the Simpsons where it's like, oh, do you? the no homers allowed. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but like it's very early. I don't watch some Simpsons anymore, but this is what I was. And they were like, this is like a club. No homers allowed. Then Homer Simpson goes, but that homer is in there. And they say, yeah, no homers. We can have one homer, but we can't have plural.
0: <laughs> no multiples. No oh multiples. My gosh. I
1: don't know. I always think about that. So no Zuko is only the one, but not that one. That's it.
0: That's so funny. But that is it. That was the beach. Mm. Greg, who was yes. your MVP this episode?
1: My MVP. I, I have to tie the MVP, I guess. Oh,
0: OK. I it's think. not going to be Lo and Lee, is it? No.
1: No, not too far off, though. Okay, for me, I know I've been taking MVP very seriously lately and it has been a very serious season, but I think actually, no, it's not going to be a tie. My good friend, RJ, Ron John, gets the MVP of the (laughs) episode. I knew it. Absolutely. At first, I was going to be like, well, Chan and Ron John. But like, I think Ron John just takes the lead just slightly off of Chan. But that's the second place for me. For sure. Okay. I love these characters. These side characters are so amazing. And it was really tough to choose between these two and the two soldiers that told the combustion man where the avatar was. But Ron John is just like amazing. He is so cool. Just such a cool guy. Maybe too, too (laughs) cool for school. And Uh he plays up this stereotype so well. And like, I like the mirror imagery between him and Zuko and like Zuko gets jealous, not because he's hitting on May, but because like he's jealous of Ron John's lifestyle and like how carefree he is and stuff like that. It adds just more dimension to a main character. And that's just a good side character for me. So Ron John MVP, feel free to disagree with me all you want. (laughs) No one's going to change my mind about this one, unless it's a stronger argument for Chan, then we can revisit this conversation. Oh
0: my gosh. No, I love it. I love the kooky MVP pick.
1: Yes. What about you? You say Azula. So <laughs> I'm not going to say me. Azula.
0: No. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to go with Zuko. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's appropriate since your pick is Ron John. So, yeah. you know, Zuko's alter ego, <laughs> alter personality, who just happened to have a pretty crappy childhood yep. uh, in comparison. But yep. I think Zuko makes some really important strides here in understanding his issues and what is actually going on subconsciously. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually had someone write in who made a great point that if he had sided with the avatar back in the crystal caverns, he wouldn't have had this really important process where he went home and his expectations were shattered. And there would always be a possibility that he would betray Aang and go home to regain his honor and to regain his place. Well, well, since he didn't do that and he has been home, he's been working through these emotions and trying to figure out why he's so angry. So I think this was an important step for him to coming to that conclusion and it taking him down the path that he needs to go down next, which leads us directly into next week's episode.
1: Mm-hmm. So exciting.
0: There are some important things that he needs to figure out.
1: Yeah, there really are.
0: What about your moral of the episode?
1: This one's tough. It is. I'm going to say moral of the episode. If you have a weird feeling about those new kids on the beach going to your party, <laughs> maybe don't invite their friends. <laughs> that That's my moral of the episode. Otherwise,
0: you'll get a trashed house out of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like their gut instinct was right on that one. They looked at him. They're like, we don't like you. We're not going to invite you. But, you know, boys will be boys and just invited like the new like cool and the new like quirky girls on the beach and like, you two can come and not realizing who they are associated with or even who they are which is very interesting that these kids on Ember Island did not know who Zuko was everywhere Zuko goes everyone knows who he is because of the yeah. scar on his face but these two knuckleheads did not know that he was Prince Zuko
0: I know I was shocked at that because it's yeah. they're on the main continent yeah. of the fire nation like how could they not know that's so weird
1: especially since we saw at the private school with ang that everyone knows what fire lord ozai looks like yep one might wager that they would know what his kids look like or his brother looks like
0: unless they're
1: homeschooled because they're rich
0: yeah that yeah (laughs) Also, there's so much visual emphasis put on the Fire Lord in the Fire Nation because similar to North Korea, there's just like banners and imagery and references constantly to our great and glorious leader. Meanwhile, I feel like Zuko, as the family, as the son of the Fire Lord, probably wouldn't get that much attention. Meanwhile, in the colonies, that's where people gossip about. Fair. the crown prince and his banishment and this and that, because they don't have the same kind of upholding of the culture.
1: I think we're thinking too much about this. And the simple fact of the matter is that yeah. these two guys were not paying attention in class. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's as that. simple as that.
0: <laughs> they have the kind of personality. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Schools for losers, schools for chums.
1: They were just like looking at their own reflections when that yep. part of school was going on. Passing that lesson notes was back being, and yeah. forth about yep. going to the
0: beach after Flirting. school.
1: Yeah, all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah,
0: you're probably right. Yep. I think my moral of the episode, I'm going to go at the breakfast club and yeah. say, don't you forget about me. <laughs> or also don't forget about your friends and be true to who you are.
1: Yeah, I think those are wonderful lessons and very like, evidence by that fireside chat that they had at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really good episode. That's a wonderful moral to take out of it.
0: I feel like we achieved the right amount of cheek between our MVPs and yeah. moral of the episode <laughs> so this too. one.
1: Yes, I think so too. Uh,
0: well, that is all the time we have for this episode. It is an extra long one yeah. just for you dear listeners. So I hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you want to add to the conversation, feel free to email us at avatar the at com. You can also tweet us at Podcast Avatar. You can also keep those reviews coming if you want to support us even further. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Write out some thoughts and we will read it here on the podcast. And for those of you looking for additional ways to support us, we do have a Patreon. We would love it if you joined us over there. You choose your nation. Join us in the Hundred Year War. And get some really great benefits, including Secret Podcast, which Mm -hmm. is coming out this week for our patrons.
1: It might actually be out by the time this hits. We'll see. Yes. Yes. But it'll be out. We have doodle pages that Acorn and I pass around. I had so much fun on the doodle pages. Just such a good time. We are going to have blog posts. We have AMAs. So if there's a specific question uh, that you would like answered in text format, and we can really just go crazy with the essays on that, like. That's the place to do it. Absolutely. So
0: Yeah. yeah. Patreon.com slash Avatar the Podcast.
1: That's right. And as always, if you are caught up on all of the episodes, you've watched all the Avatoks and you've listened to all, as of this point, one episode of Secret Podcast and are looking <laughs> for something else to do on a Monday or Friday night. You can always join me over at twitch.tv slash Booster Greg on Friday nights. I have a new segment at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time called Phone a Friend Friday, where I yeah. call up one of my friends on a Friday and we do cringy icebreakers, and it's a lot of fun. Acorn was on the <laughs> second episode, I think, second or third episode. We just had our friend Mergles on the last episode. If anyone thinks that name sounds familiar, it's because Mergles is the super talented and wonderful artist who did our book two and book three album art for the podcast. So yeah. yes, we super, super love that. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Like, can find me on YouTube. I don't have enough subscribers for URL yet. If anyone wants to help me out with that, you can you know <laughs> just find me over there. But yeah, that's the place you can find me.
0: Awesome. Yep. And you can find me all over the online webs, the worldwide webs at Acorn Bandit. You can also find me on joysans.com, that's J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, where I create enamel pins including pins for this podcast, our fluffy boy, yeah. Appa, and our favorite blind bandit are in pin form over there. Yes. And uh, special thanks to Booster Greg for designing the blind bandit pin, which turned out awesome.
1: It was so much fun. And now I'm remembering that we have to design the book three pin now.
0: Oh, crap. How many <gasps> episodes are we into the season? <laughs> we have thoughts. We have plans. I'm going to add yes. that to my notion board today.
1: I completely spaced <laughs> on that. Oh, my. Me too.
0: That is where you can find me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Coming up next time,
1: Roku versus the Volcano
0: and Zuko's split decision. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the podcast.
1: Podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.